to the Real Issue Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in. Last week, we talked about the LDS Church and whether or not the LDS Church is actually a Christian church. And I came to the conclusion, I hope you did, came, I hope you also came to the con- conclusion that I did as well, that it is not. And I'm going to give you more evidence today. You know, I um, talked to, have talked to numerous accounts of Mormon missionaries getting comfortable here. And uh, one of the things they, they will ask you is whether or not you have read the Book of Mormon. Well, I have read it uh, in the sense of skimming through it. And then later on, I started researching it to check to see about its credibility. You know, because the LDS Church has their apologists as well, like uh, their Shields website and their FAIR website. And of course, you know, they always rely on the prophecy of Joseph Smith. And of course, they believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet, that he uh, had received the revelation through the angel Moroni, went in the Hill Cumorah, which I've been to. Uh, I've been to the Hill Cumorah. I've been to um, up at uh, Palmyra, New York, when we lived in upstate New York, went to the LDS uh, Center there and had some good conversations with members of the LDS Church. And by the way, I still have a running conversation with the elder I mentioned to you last week. I think he's from New England because he likes the Patriots. And I used to live 20 minutes from Foxborough, so we have a bridge in common. But in order to set the parameters for our show today, what I want to do is I want to tell you what the Bible is first. And then I'm going to give you the LDS claims. And then we're going to look at some LDS scripture to see whether or not it's true based on the criteria of what God lays out on a prophet. So first off, let me just share with you that I believe that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. I believe it's a reliable, still a reliable collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses, some 40 eyewitnesses, during the span of 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, three different continents, Asia, Europe, and, uh, and uh, Africa. I also believe that they have written, the writers were contemporaries, some of them were contemporaries of one another in the span of that 1,500 years, and they wrote about supernatural events that are direct, that were in direct fulfillment to specific, and here's the key word here, prophecies, and these writers claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Now, I have gone and expounded on a definition that Vody Bauckham gives, and I'm not a presuppositionalist, but I love Vody's definition. I've just kind of expanded on it, giving you three different languages, three different continents, 1,500 years and all that. So what about the Book of Mormon? You know, the, the, the Mormons will tell you that it is the restoration or another testament of Jesus Christ. And I have a, a copy of it here, and I've got mine all marked up and all, because it's rife with problems. Um, first off, it is not a reliable collection of historical documents like the Bible. But not only that, since 
the Mormons will tell you that if you read the Book of Mormon and you pray and ask God if it's true, he will tell you. I'm going to address that maybe a little bit later. If not, I will let Brett Kunkel uh, address it in one of our commercials, and he'll just reinforce it if I just mention it. So, if you were talking to a Mormon, and you were to ask a Mormon what God sets for criteria for a prophet, you could turn them to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, and even look at um, verse 22. Let me read that for us as we get jump-started here. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, talking about God, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now, Verse 22 says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. So <laughs> we have here not a Balaam-like scenario, but what we have here is a man <coughs> who wrote in 1830s a book that claims to say that our Bible is a wipeout, that the historical Christian church that Jesus says in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he says that's a wipeout too. And I'm going to read those passages out of the Book of Mormon to show you and then I'm going to deal with some issues with regards to the false prophecies that Alma and, uh, and Nephi, going to start with Nephi first. And then what we'll do is we'll look at a few passages and a few prophets uh, in the Bible. We'll look at, say, Micah, Isaiah, David, and uh, Daniel. And uh, we'll look at those. We'll look at those briefly. As we as we trudge our way through the show, so we we've established now the fact that a false prophet is one who speaks presumptuously. Now, what you have in the Book of Mormon, let me see if I can thumb through this here. Uh, what you have is that the Book of Mormon is a very interesting piece. It, it, it's really quite humorous in one sense, because in 1 Nephi 13, in your heading, uh, you see that Nephi sees in a vision the church of the devil, talking about the Christian church, and the discovery and colonizing of America, the loss of many plain and precious parts of the Bible, meaning that there's supposedly a an apostasy that LDS will claim when you talk to them, if you go deep, that resulted in the need uh, for restoration of the gospel coming forth in Latter-day Scripture. Now, uh, in 1 Nephi um, uh, 13, 
and verse 6, it says that it came to pass, I beheld a great and abominable church, and I saw that the devil, uh, he was the founder of it. That's talking about the Christian church. That's talking about if you are Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Evangelical Lutheran, if you are a redeemed, born-again believer, that's saying that you and I are following the devil according to the LDS church. And then um, later on in 1 Nephi, they says, he's, he says, and after, and after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, talking about the twelve apostles of Jesus, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, you seest the formation of the great and abominable church, which is the most abominable of all of other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel the Lamb many parts which are plain and precious and also have many covenants of the Lord, they have taken them away. Now, what are those? Well, one of LDS will tell you one of them is the priesthood, the fact that the, uh, the, the, the priesthood that they say that they have of Melchizedek and, um, and uh, uh, the other one I can't think of right now, but I'll remember it later. In, in 1 Nephi uh, 14, the angel tells Nephi of the blessings and cursings that fall to the Gentiles. That's us. There are only two churches, the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil. Of course, they say that we're, we're the church of the devil. Now, here is the attack upon the Christian church. He says that the great pit which hath digged for them... That, there wasn't gra grammatical. This is really not uh, uh, their their um, forte. And that, <laughs> let me backtrack here. And that great pit which had been digged up for them by that great abominable and great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. And yea, that great pit which hath been filled by those who digged it. Unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God, not to the destruction of the soul, save it by the casting of it that into hell, which hath no end. Now, that's what the LDS think of you and I. So, the question is, when was this prophecy uh, set forth? Well, the LDS put this right around 600 B.C. to 592. So the question I have for the LDS here, and I've always gotten crickets, is the fact that there are this, 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 there is this whole issue of biblical authenticity that we have that says that there is uh, the, that the Bible is a wipeout, that there was an apostasy, that there that it's. Let me see if I can find this in, in the in the Book of Mormon. Um, it might be in Second Nephi. Yep, it is. Here it is. Um, in Second uh, Nephi chapter twenty nine, many Gentiles shall reject the Book of Mormon. They say we need no more. We need no more Bible. The Lord speaks to many nations. Blah blah blah. 
Uh, Second Nephi 29.3, it says, Because my words shall hiss forth, many Gentiles shall say, A Bible, a Bible. We, we have got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. But thus says the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible, and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. Verse 6 of 2 Nephi 29, Thou fool that shall say a Bible, we have got a Bible, and we have no more, we have need, we need no more Bible. Have ye obtained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? This prophecy was right around 559 to 545 BC, so we're getting closer to um, the let's see, 538. This is before the Babylonian captivity. How about that? 538. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what you have here is an attack on the Bible. You have an attack on the church. And the question I would have for LDS missionaries, and if uh, one particular missionary is actually listening to our show today, thank you for listening, is do you have any historical authentic documents to back up the Book of Mormon? And I'm sure your answer to that will be in, in not the affirmative, but the negative. Because the LDS Church does not have anything that goes back into antiquity like the Christian Church does. Of course, we've got the Dead Sea Scrolls with the Old Testament, and we've got over 2,000 copies full copies of the New Testament. Syriac, Coptic, Latin, Greek. We have, as far as Greek is concerned, the number is increasing where we have close to 6,000 parchments, fragments, full copies of the Greek New Testament. Now, this isn't like the telephone game. This is the fact that there was oral tradition, the copyist, the copyist task was very, very, very rigorous. But see, there's nothing in the LDS church to go and even compete with something like this. Now, you look at the fact that we have this whole, this whole issue of prophecy. All right? So the question we have to ask is, if there is nothing... What have we got to substantiate it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because the LDS Church makes some claims. First off, we do not have, they do not have, they do not have any antiquity, uh, documents and manuscripts of antiquity like the, the Bible does. Not only that, but if you look at the prophecies of the Book of Mormon, for example, when you look at um, Alma 7.10, Alma 7.10 has the Jerusalem prophecy. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this, and then we'll go to a break, and then it'll get worse, okay? <laughs> All right, so the LDS claim is that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Of course, we know that is not true. We know that Micah 5.2 says as follows, that, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
who were who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose reign is from old and from ancient days. So, Bethlehem is actually six miles south of Jerusalem. That's right, I said it. Six miles south of Jerusalem. If you were to ask any scholar... And not just the Smithsonian Institute, which doesn't take any credibility on the Bible. I have a document on that one. I have a letter. I'm going to see if I have it in my archives. And if I do, I'll have a copy of it attached to this show. But when you, when you look at what the Book of Mormon says in Alma 7.10, it says, Behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious, precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. Now, they believe in the virgin birth. They believe it's overshadowed until you really, until you really start talking to LDS teachers and um, they then that's when they start discrediting their own prophets like Brigham Young they'll say that Brigham Young sometimes did not believe what Brigham Young had said according to a Mormon video that's out there but Micah 5.2 <clears throat> excuse me Micah 5.2 says Bethlehem Alma 7.10 says Jerusalem of course, they will tell you it's all in the same region, but it's not in the same region. It's six miles difference. There are cities in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, so it is not, they are mutually exclusive from one another. Bethlehem is known as the house of bread. Jerusalem is the city of David. Oh, by the way, the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods, it just just came back to me, just in case. Um, so, that is problematic. <clears throat> if you look at Isaiah, <clears throat> if you look at Isaiah, you would see that Isaiah is a prophet who prophesied in Isaiah 16.5. Let me turn there. Isaiah 16.5 says talks about the fact that Jesus will come from the line of David, or the one sitting on the throne will be from the house of David. Let me read that for us so that we can see. 16.5, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. So here we have <clears throat> Alma, Versus Isaiah and versus Micah. Right now, the prophets in the Bible are winning. We see that Nephi says that the Bible has disappeared, that the Bible as we know it has disappeared and needs to be restored. They have no credibility. And then we see also that the Alma prophecy has um, 
it says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem where the Bible in Micah 5 2 says that um, Jesus is Micah 5 2 says Jesus is born in Bethlehem we'll go to a break looks like we've gone a little bit longer but this is fun stuff I'm sure I hope you're enjoying our show and this information if we go a little bit longer I'm hoping it'll move fast let's go to a couple commercials and we'll be right back maybe we are all God maybe we are collectively God God is experiencing himself or herself or itself through us nothing is absolute I guess that's an absolute statement in itself but there are so many religions out there so many people that have claimed to be the son of God before Christianity it's a historical accident Buddha taught the same sort of thing so did Confucius so did Mohammed they all teach pretty much the same stuff can we really say what's right and what's wrong there are a lot of different religions a lot of different pathways that people this take to God this of Jesus died for your sins well I don't believe it maybe we are all attuned to a frequency that vibrates through the universe that is what we've determined to be God it's just many of the voices that you hear in our culture range from truth being relative to all religions say the same thing or maybe that God doesn't exist at the real issue apologetics ministry we help churches college groups student groups and young people answer those challenges if you'd like more information about the real issue apologetics ministry contact us by calling 540-419-2162 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com that's 540-419-2162 or email at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. My name is Bobby Conway, and I am here with Christian apologist Brett Kunkel and a buddy of mine. Good to have you on the program, Brett. It's always good to hang with you, Bobby. So excited to be able to ask you a string of questions. I want to start with the question, how should I respond to a Mormon testimony? Yeah, well, Mormons are going to offer as the final justification for what they believe, their testimony. I read the Book of Mormon, I prayed about, I prayed about it, and then God told me that it was true. Uh, so I think there's several things you can do to respond. Uh, number one, you can show them that this is not a kind of a method that they use to determine the truth of anything else. So I'll respond with a question. I'll ask them, well, well, do you pray to find out if murder's wrong as well? They'll look at me and go, well, of course not. Well, how, well, how do you know murder's wrong then? Well, it says so in God's Word. And so I'm, I'm helping to open up kind of their ideas about knowing how we know the truth of things by helping them see they appeal to Scripture. Uh, then I'll also show them what Scripture says about how we know things. And so I'll point them to Acts 17. And because, of course, they, we have common ground here. They accept the scriptures. Acts 17 tells us the Bereans are more noble than the Thessalonians because they received Paul's word with gladness, and then they examined the scriptures to see if it was true. So I want to say, hey, take that testimony and measure what the, the content of it against the scriptures. And then I'll also multiply testimonies. Okay, what if I read the Book of Mormon and God tells me it's false? What about the Muslim who prays about the Quran and God tells him the Quran's true? 
And so I think those are some simple ways that we can respond to the Mormon testimony to help them see it's not a reliable source alone for finding out the truthfulness of their religion. Hi, this is Rob Lundberg from the Real Issue Podcast. I'd like to let you know that if you have over the last couple years been subscribing to us on iTunes, we have now moved from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. So if you are still listening to us on iTunes, we'd like to invite you to go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Real Issue Podcast. That way you won't miss a show and you'll be able to share the Real Issue Podcast with others. So jump on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. You'll be glad that you did. And you're listening to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Um, That was... uh, so we're some commercials and stuff. If you need to contact us by any uh, by email, you can email us again at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Or you can contact us by phone at 540-419-2162. One of the things I had uh, forgot to allude to, but I think you all would know this if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you'll say that, well, you know, Rob, um, the gospel writers allude to... The prophecies of Isaiah and and Micah, and you're absolutely correct. And that's something that what we this is what we call the analogy of Scripture. That Scripture interprets Scripture. The writers point to the Old Testament, which means that the New Testament writers, if the New Testament was a wipeout, they actually didn't wipe out on the fact that there were prophecies that came true with referring to Jesus as the one who was the coming Messiah. You know, if you look at David's prophecy, here's another one. You know, we have Micah, we have Isaiah. Now let's go to David. And David talks about the crucifixion. He talks about crucifixion about 800 to 1,000 years prior to it actually even being created by, uh, I think it was the Romans. It might have been by the Phoenicians and perfected by the Romans, but I'm not for sure. But if you have your Bible, go to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, yeah, go to um, Psalm 22, and you have things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Also, um, you have, let's see, with the crucifixion, you have, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, Um, and then uh, you have... Uh, deliver my soul from the sword. Um, you have, they divided all my garments. Verse 16 of 22 says, For the dogs encompass me, company of evildoers encircles me, and they pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. What happened during Jesus' crucifixion? Well, obviously, this is a prophetic psalm, even though it's coming out of the mouth of a king, David, talking about it. Now, he wasn't sitting in a trance and writing this stuff. 
he was penning this probably because he was writing from his heart and his mind. But it's also prophetic. We don't see any allusions to it being prophetic, but we, we can tell just by the fact that this is something that he was, he was talking to. There's nothing in the Book of Mormon. There was a fragment uh, of Psalm 22 found at the Dead Sea, at the, an archaeological evidence of a crucified individual where they had found an, an ossuary, which is like a bone box. And in that bone box, they found a, uh, uh, a heel bone with the nails still in it. And the, the, the writing outside of the bone box had the person's name as far as who was in it. And, of course, Gary Habermas talks about, in his uh, talk on the Talpiot tomb, he talks about, you know, the fact that those were used over and over again. But you have also, uh, I won't read it, but you have, like, in Daniel chapter 9, which was written around 538 B.C., which, by the way, was uh, later, I mean, yeah, it was later, uh, that later than the, the Book of Mormon, uh, than the Nephi and the, and the other prophet, uh, Alma. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, it describes in, in uh, 538 B.C. in chapter 9, you can, talk, you can read about how the Messiah would be cut off or would be killed. And in Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, You will not let your Holy One see decay. So you see the interaction and the interweaving of, of the Bible, and you don't have that with the Book of Mormon. So what you have, you know, Jesus did tell us the plan of God. There is no evidence for Nephi and Alma. There are no sources of antiquity. So you take Micah, you take Isaiah, you take Daniel, and you take David, and you put it up against Nephi and Alma, and you see Nephi and Alma as false prophets based on the criteria that we read. Now read it again. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously, Alma and and Nephi do so, which I have not commanded him to speak, which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Who wrote it? Who wrote the Book of Mormon? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith needs to die in the heart of Mormons. Because Joseph Smith, as I'll prove in just a moment, is a false prophet as well. Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and if the thing does not come about or can come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. This prophet has spoken it and has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So well, I'm not afraid of Joseph Smith. I'm not afraid of Mormons coming to my door, coming. We have a message for you. No, folks, um, what you have is basically a, a false prophet. So, what you, what you have is a man who basically is writing uh, out of his imagination and he takes and has created what is known as the Joseph Smith translation. And that there does not say the same thing as, as 
our Bible. In fact, if the Mormons believe that there's some stuff that's taken out, Joseph Smith has added into it. So like on the left-hand side, you have this column for the inspired version, and they have the King James version on the other side. So whatever the King James says, if there's nothing in there on that, on that left side, Joseph Smith has gone and, and done that. Now, what he is doing is, what he did with that is he created a, a sham. It's, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, if we talk to a Muslim, they would say, well, you know, the Old Testament was replaced by the New Testament and the Quran was replaced by replaced by um, by uh, was replaced was replacing the New Testament. So you got absolute A, the Old Testament; absolute B, the New Testament; absolute C, the Quran. I'll always ask a, Mo a Muslim, uh, "What's to keep absolute D from coming along?" But if you know where I'm going with this. What is to keep absolute E from coming along? That's right. What is to keep absolute E from coming along? Because I could go or you could go and create a book, write a book and said, well, you know, hey, I've got the inspired God revealed this to me. This is the new version of, of the current inspired word of God. It's from it's from heaven. And of course, the Mormons will tell you that they don't have the antiquity because the golden plates went back up into heaven. So there's nothing, there's nothing external sources, there's no archaeological sources, there's nothing credible other than the fact that you, uh, they're trying to back up a modern writing. So the question is, what did Joseph write? Well, he totally uh, butchered um, the, the, the Bible. He butchered uh, things like Romans 4.16, where he adds, in Romans 4.16, let me go there with ours, so that way you can hear it, Romans 4.16. All right, um, Romans 4.16. All right, here we go, finding it, trudging right along. There we go, there's 18, 4.16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest upon grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. I'll stop there. What Joseph Smith does in the new, in, in, in the Joseph Smith translation is he goes and he says that is why it depends on faith and works in order, in order that the promise may rest on grace and guaranteed to all his offspring. See, they take Ephesians 2, 8, and I forget where it is uh, in, in theirs, in, in their Bible. It's probably 2, 8 in theirs as well. I'd have to go and try and find a Joseph Smith translation, which I don't have. You know, it says in ours, it says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. They go and they say, For by grace... You have been saved after all that we can do. No, sir, no, ma'am. That is not true. See, Joseph is writing uh, out of the passages. He strips the deity in John 1, uh, and I don't have that. Uh, but we have, John, we have fragments of John's gospel. And then, of course, you know, 
I just shared with you the fact that you and I can go and create, um, that we can go and create a, a translation. But see, it gets worse. Joseph Smith claimed that there are passages in the Book of Mormon that talk about himself, uh, which means that it's a kind of a uh, self-fulfilling uh, prophecy book. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, Alma was mistaken, and <clears throat> I can't find it right now, but for the sake of time, I'd have, I'll, I'll come back and I'll probably allude to it again. But see, folks, I knew the second part would go a lot quicker. Joseph claimed that the Bible was not translated correctly. And oh, yeah, the Articles of Faith of the LDS Church says that we believe the Bible as far as it's translated correctly. So Joseph Smith has totally crippled the translation of the Bible. And, you know, he also made some predictions about himself. And um, with that, he also takes Isaiah 29, 12, and he inserts pages. Oh, here it is. Um, he inserts pages, or what he does is he takes 2 Nephi, um, 29, uh, let's see, 2 second, second Nephi, uh, 29, 12, yep, um, 27, 12. And he says this, And it shall come to pass that the Lord God will bring unto you the words of a book, and they shall be the words of them which have slumbered. The book shall be sealed, and it shall be in the revelation of God from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. This is in uh, 2 Nephi 27. Uh, so what we're seeing here in this, this passage here, that they're, they're making self-fulfilling prophecy, which is what a lot of even name-it-claim-it folks do. But then it gets even worse. He says well, in, in verse 12 of 2 Nephi, verse 27, Wherefore, that in the day when the book shall be delivered unto a man of whom I have spoken, Nephi, that is, the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world, that the eyes none shall behold to save it, to be that three witnesses shall behold it. Now, I go to Isaiah 29, because this is really interesting. Isaiah 29, verse 12. Uh, i got to move a whole lot faster. Maybe some tab marks or that will that we'll have it here. 29.12, here we go. And the Lord, because people, uh, let's see, and the, vid, okay, uh, let's see, yep, and they uh, give the book to, to one or a man who cannot read, saying, read this, and he says, I cannot read. Go back to this again. For that day when a book shall be delivered unto a man of whom I have spoken, the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world that the eyes have known. There's some similarities, too, too close to similarities where he has gone and totally corrupted scripture. 
and that is you know what the you know the whole curses that are mentioned at the end of the revelation if you go and you add to the book or take away from the book you know that's why i say we don't need to be afraid of joseph smith we don't need to be afraid of mormons when they come we need to love them when they come to the door um in Doctrine and Covenants, which is also one of their inspired books, he talks about, the uh, Smith deals with, um, see if I can find this. Uh, I think I dog-eared it. Yes, I did. Um, where they talked about this whole thing in Section 84, Doctrine and Covenants, the revelation given through Joseph Smith, prophet at Kirtland, Ohio, September 22nd, 23rd, in 1832, during the month of September, the elders had begun to return from their missions in the modern eastern states and to make reports to, of their labors. The New Jerusalem would be built, that a temple would be built in Missouri, in the state of Missouri. And it says in Doctrine and Covenants 84.3, which city shall, the, uh, shall be, the, uh, be built beginning at the temple? which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith, June, and others uh, with whom the Lord is well pleased. Very, Verily, this is the word of the Lord that the city, New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints beginning at this place, even at this, even this place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation, 1830s. You know what is there right now at the, at the lot where the temple was supposed to be built? Nothing. What does that say about Joseph Smith? Let me wrap this show up and just share some things. If you're an LDS member, I know that you're going into your bicentennial this year. You believe that the Book of Mormon was first, or the vision to Joseph Smith was right around this time. But you know what? Um, this is 2020, not 2030. Um, so, folks, we have a problem. It's not us that's the wipeout. We've demonstrated for you that Alma's prophecy did not come through, that Nephi's uh, prophecy has no water. We've shared with you the fact that we have Micah, Daniel, we have Isaiah, and David versus those two prophets. And those prophecies have been fulfilled by Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, and David. But there's nothing for Alma and Nephi. So what do you believe? A prophet has made a presumption. And in the Old Testament context, that prophet should die. Well, Joseph Smith is dead and gone. But his ghost in the LDS church still lives on. You and I should be ambassadors to reach the LDS with the love of Jesus Christ. Paul said something very, very interesting in Galatians. He says, if we are an angel, 
Come and preach another gospel to you, that which we have we have not preached. Let that person be that angel be accursed. The, the Book of Mormon, the Mormon Church, is one of two religions in history that have been brought about by angelic proclamation, and they are a wipeout. You've been listening to the Real Issue Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to be back with you next week as we deal with another topic. I haven't got that planned yet. I did a lot of research this week on this pro- on this topic because um, I've got a lot of attention from the LDS Church from uh, a particular elder who wants to have a conversation. Like I said, elder, I hope you listen to the show today, and I'd love your feedback. I'd also love your feedback if you're not a Mormon. You can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com or text us, SMS us at at 540-419-2162. Let us know how you like the show, and uh, we'll be back with you next week. So until next week, go out, be his ambassador, and if you have an opportunity during this time of the COVID, uh Do it online, but do it gently with gentleness and respect if you're a Christian. Until next week, Lord bless you. Go out, give them heaven, and we'll be back with another show next week. Lord bless. Mm -hmm.